Welcome to Sales is Not a Dirty Word, the show that proves if it's a fit, it's a fact. I'm your host, revolutionary sales coach, Alicia Barr, the creator of the Matchmaker Sales Method. If you're a done-for-you service provider who's ready to grow your impact and profits without pressure, pitching, or pretending to be someone else, then this is for you. This episode is with Joyce Martyr. She's a licensed psychotherapist, entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and a mental health thought leader. She's the founder of Urban Balance, a national outpatient mental health company, and a contributor to Psychology Today and Money Geek. Joyce is the author of The Financial Mindset Fix, a mental fitness program for an abundant life, which has been published in three languages and received nine book awards in 2023. Let's go. Welcome to the big show. Sales is not a dirty word. Thank you so much for having me, Alicia. I'm excited for this conversation. I am so excited about it because you guys, I saw Joyce at an event and she was a speaker and she had the wildest story. Um, and if any of you, anybody listening as a business owner, it, could feel familiar, <laughs> um, but it had so many twists and turns. And most importantly, things that we could learn from, really important lessons in there that I just had to have you come on and share it and talk to us about the psychology of money behind it too. So if it's okay with you, if we could start with the beginning of Joyce Smarter. Absolutely. So I've been a therapist for 25 years. And when I first started graduate school at Northwestern University, the professor said, well, you certainly didn't choose this field for the money. And I was like, uh-oh, because I <laughs> signed huge student loans. And I was like, how am I going to support myself in Chicago and pay off my student loans? And so I was worried about my psychology of money. And I believe one of the most important things I've learned as a therapist is that we all unconsciously recreate what's familiar until we become aware and we choose something different. So in my family of origin, my dad grew up during the Great Depression and had a scarcity mindset about money. So the belief that there aren't enough jobs or opportunity or resources like food to go around. And so he worked really hard, which workaholism can be the result of scarcity mindset. It's mm. fear-based. And he worked really hard, was very successful, but became unemployed during my adolescence and had tremendous financial anxiety and money stress. Even though we lived in a nice neighborhood, there was a lot of fear that the money was going to run out. So it looked like things were cool on the outside, but there was a lot of shame and arguing and fear on the inside. And I essentially recreated that same situation in my adult life. I started Urban Balance, the business that you mentioned, with $500 and 50,000 of student loans. My mission was to provide insurance-friendly counseling. So we were in network with every insurance plan to make therapy accessible and affordable because I think we all need it at different points in our lives. And we ended up in cash flow hell. The bigger the business got, the more money was outstanding in insurance. And it was okay if it was five or $10,000, but when it became hundreds of thousands of dollars, I couldn't pay my staff or my rent on time. 
And I laid awake at night with insomnia and panic attacks and became very aware, painfully so, of our psychology of money and how it impacts our financial life. So I started to really work on that in myself and use tools from my clinical training to shift the way that I behaved around money. And it transformed not only my business, but my life. Yeah. And I mean, I think some more difficult things happened before you made the choice to look into the psychology of money. Because as anybody listening knows, you know, you, you get to a point where you're like, oh, uh, the table has a crack in it in, in my kitchen. Like you're talking about dinner. Oh, the legs went out. We can still eat. Oh, the chair's legs went out. We can still eat. We'll just eat on the floor. There. You just keep taking shit, um, until you literally, you just cannot anymore. And, um, I, I think that we've all been there where we're like, it's fine. We'll just keep pushing. And I mean, I hate that the, reason you were in this situation was insurance because I mean obviously the healthcare situation in the United States is horrible um and the fact that a that a provider would have to you know not be able to pay staff because insurance can't pay their own bills um <laughs> but you mentioned like you were doing this like credit card lo- rotation thing and you had taken out all your loans you'd leveraged everything you could horrible yes i was in cash flow hell And I was using personal credit cards to float my staff payroll. I put a $50,000 lien on my home when I had little kids. Um, It was stressful in my marriage. It was stressful on every single level. I had imposter syndrome because on the outside, it was like I was on TV and in the media and had this nice looking company. But behind the scenes, the money was not there. And... I had started my business with a business partner who was a very dear friend. And when we ended up in this cash flow pickle, it was enormously stressful. And she'd had a couple other life events that year that were very difficult as well. And so she sort of panicked and sent an email to myself and our whole staff and our accountant and attorney and said, I'm out. This is too stressful. I'm leaving. And half of our staff left taking their clients. So I was already in a position where I was having difficulty making the rent for multiple office locations. And then now really was in a a dire situation. And that really brought me to my knees and broke me open. And sometimes it takes those horrible life experiences to teach us really important lessons. And I learned a couple important lessons. I learned the importance of humility. And instead of wearing this mask of ego and telling the world like, hey, everything's going to be okay. That kitchen table's fine. It's fine that it's, you know, on the floor now. It'll get worked out. I instead said to people, I screwed up. I made enormous business errors and I need help. And help came out of the woodwork. And it was like a million pounds had been lifted from my shoulders. And then it went to supporting me. Um, My staff that stayed were brilliant people that I, I wasn't tapping into their wealth of knowledge. I thought that being a good business owner was taking care of them so they didn't have to worry about the problems. 
But if I drove the company into the ground, they would have no jobs. So I asked for their help and they came up with amazing ideas to strengthen the company. I had friends and family give great suggestions. And it was a neighbor who said, you need a business valuation. And I didn't even know what that was, but I ended up meeting with a CPA. I thought that he was going to tell me I was going to have to file bankruptcy. And I was in tears when I handed him my QuickBooks file, but he then um, ran reports and he said, truly, you, you have a cash flow problem. Your business model works. And he was able to help me and turn the ship around. It, it took a while and I learned a lot of painful lessons, but you know, persistence and tenacity can get you a long way in accessing support. And I mean, you guys, like so much of what I talk about in sales is empathy. And I don't talk about this that much, but culture is also a really key part of, of when I manage sales teams. And imagine these employees get to take, get to participate in saving a company. How loyal would that make you? How fun and exciting to be included in that and how much would that make you want to show up at work? It's just like such a great shift into asking for help. And something that I learned so much recently, I was on a personal development retreat and they throughout the process had designed situations where you would not succeed if you did not ask for help. Just so you mm -hmm. had repeated situations where you had to say, I need support, I need help. Because humans just, for whatever reason, we think that it seems weak to ask for help. And it is a sign of strength to ask for help. And you will be so much more successful when you ask for help. And so that neighbor got your, he referred you to someone to get it valued. And it was like a total surprise story. How much did they say it was valued for? Well, that was the crazy amount um, or crazy part of it. The CPA called me two days later and he said, Joyce, are you sitting down? And I was like, yes. And he said, your business is worth at a minimum $2 million. And I was like, how is that possible? I have no, not a dollar to my name, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And he said, truly, the money is out there. It just hasn't come your way yet. And your business model works. Of course, I had made some mistakes some things weren't to scale. We were overpaying management and that was kind of cutting down on our profits. But working with a professional who really knew the industry standards, we were able to correct those things. And really, there were, there were parts of my psychology that were keeping me from asking for help. Like you mentioned, fear also shame. I was embarrassed of the debt that I had. I didn't want to talk about it with anyone. I was afraid that a financial professional would tell me that my business model didn't work and that I'd have to file bankruptcy. So I stuck my head in the sand and I was in denial. But this whole opportunity exactly taught me the importance of support, seeking my own therapy around my own psychology of money and the issues in my family that taught me certain dysfunctional beliefs and irrational beliefs around money rooted in a scarcity mindset. And I was able to process my emotions differently around money by practicing mindfulness and then setting healthy behaviors, having healthy financial boundaries in relationships with my staff, 
with my clients, Mm -hmm. with um, even my family members. I, I sort of had a tendency of codependency or overtake caretaking and overgiving Mm. being kind of a people pleaser. And that caused me to kind of compromise my own financial boundaries. And it led to financial problems for my business. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of times when somebody is that way, it can turn into kind of abuse or manipulation. Like people realize, oh, she'll just give me money. Maybe I should yes. make up a scenario that I need money for. Yes, unfortunately, there is some of that. You know, I think people can take advantage of somebody who has that more caretaking, people pleasing, you know, heart centered kind of perspective in business. And so I learned through my clients and through my therapy practice that as my clients made progress in therapy, they started to earn more money. And I was really confused by it because we were treating depression, anxiety, addiction, relationship issues. And it's because in therapy, we're always working on our underlying self-worth and self-esteem. And as we feel better about ourselves, we put ourselves out in the world with more confidence, assertiveness, negotiation. All of that has a financial return. So I really had to work on my own self-worth and self-esteem. And my CPA said, Joyce, you're not running a charity to employ therapists. You deserve to make a profit. Oh, man. for the This feels like something that has to resonate with anybody who's female and listening. It's a, it's a common female issue. And it's not limited to just females. And there are females who don't deal with this, but this is what I see the most is that like this, this idea around money that like, I'm bad if I want to make money. Like that makes me greedy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I had this fear of, um, sort of narcissism, not, not wanting to be a narcissist. And like, so if I sort of gave everything away, then Like, I think it was struggling with that level of success. Um, And so I was not feeling deserving on a deeper level and I was making it go away. And that's what people do when they win the lottery or maybe they're an NFL player who comes into a lot of money and then it's gone. Because if we don't feel deserving, we push it away. And I do think women were taught to take care of others first and to be good girls and people pleasers. And sometimes that does not serve us financially. And we might have guilt about setting boundaries because we know that it impacts others and we have empathy and compassion for others. Yes, exactly. We feel, that's what I was thinking more of is like how women feel selfish if they don't take care of everyone else first, which is just a crazy concept. And and obviously when you take care of yourself self first, you know, your oxygen mask, you can help everybody else much better. Exactly. And even when I went through this financial experience and the loss of my business partner, it really led to a life transformation where because I hit such rock bottom, I needed more self-care. So I started meditating. I started practicing yoga and carving time out for myself. And I remember my kids were younger then. And I remember my daughter, Celeste, saying, Mom, you're going to yoga? Good for you. And 
I hadn't been going because of mom guilt and the idea that as a working mom, if I took an hour in the evening as well, I was taking away from my kids. But in fact, by taking care of myself, it was healthy modeling for my kids. Now my girls do yoga and they have much healthier self-care practices and boundaries with their school life and their responsibilities. And uh, I hope that my journey helped model some of that so that they don't have to go through those pain points of not really taking care of ourselves in the way that we deserve. Well, I bet you are a higher quality mom. Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. And this, this may sound also kind of strange, but the loss of my business partner, I think so much of me having her was that I felt like there was strength in having a partner and I didn't mm -hmm. believe in myself on my own. And when I, worked without her, I realized that actually things were working better. And it led me to make a really important and difficult decision in my life to get divorced, mm. which was really scary and something I yeah. thought I'd never do in my life. Yeah. But I realized I was not in a healthy situation. And that, so basically me embracing my worth and prioritizing my health and wellness financially, emotionally, spiritually, it changed my financial life so dramatically. Um, when I had that business valuation, they said 2 million to 6 million would be the range if I sold the business. And I was able to successfully sell my business seven years later for more money than I would have ever imagined making in a lifetime. And this is not about greed or materialism or excess. As my company grew, I was able to hire more people, pay them better, offer pro bono services, give to charities, be a philanthropist, and leaving a marriage that really was not healthy in many ways for both of us um, opened me up to find a greater love. And you know, now I'm in a marriage with a partner that you know it, it's mutual and reciprocal, and my needs are met in a whole different way. I love happy endings. It's so great. And the lessons that are so important from, from your story are, you know, I hear that classic thing that people run into where like, I've put so much time and energy and effort into this thing. And so I don't want to let it go, even though it doesn't serve me anymore. And then ironically, they put more time, energy and effort into the thing that's not starting. So you got 10 years in and then you've got 15 and the, just the excuse keeps like perpetuating the lost um, time. And it makes sense like that it's difficult to acknowledge what's happening and let it go. And, and the reward is so worth that difficulty. Yes, absolutely. And I knew when, you know, my business partner left and I was in cash flow hell that I only had five more years in me. You know, even though I was in my forties, I, I just knew that I was quite burnt out. And so I really dedicated those five years with a lot of support to strengthening the business to sell, mm -hmm. to write and speak and do the work that I love that fills my cup. And so that's what I'm doing now. And um, hopefully, you know, spreading healing and positive messages in the world and, and reaching a larger audience along the way. 
Yeah. I mean, I think anytime that somebody's vulnerable in this way, it is very empowering for other people to realize what they're capable of. Because I think that most people maybe wouldn't have even played as big as you because of fear of the situation that you found yourself in. And Joyce, you're not dead. You, you don't even have any bodily injuries. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know? Um, but like our mind will make us feel like we are in a life or death situation. And I'm, I can't imagine. It must have felt like that the day you wake up and see that your partner left. And I, I think anybody listening probably knows I've had that feeling of like, I want to partner with somebody. I want to partner with somebody because then I'm not alone. Um, mm -hmm. And I have seen so many partnerships at this point that it is rarely a good thing, actually. <laughs> like, it's hard. It's difficult. Yeah. Like there are exceptions, but I, I think the thing I mostly see is like, if anybody's talking about being in a partnership, I'm like, can you please, before you do that, discuss how you will handle conflict? How yes. will you communicate with each other when something is happening that feels unfair or unjust or whatever? Because that's where I see all the partnerships disintegrate. Yes. And along with that, having a, a person that you can meet with for consultation. So in my mm -hmm. coaching services, I do a lot of sort of mediation between business partners or just ah. on the sounding board when they have different points of view and having a business disillusion agreement. It's kind of like a prenup, even like, I swear to you, I would have thought that my, my friend and I would have been friends till we were little old ladies. I would have never imagined that this would have happened to us. I was completely blindsided. So even if you feel that way, it's important to have that business dissolution agreement so that you have a plan if something happens. And that's what she and I had in place so that we were able to dissolve the partnership. And I assumed liability for the leases and the debt because I knew that there was value in it. I believed in the organization and I felt responsible. It's amazing. It's like you really went through fire <laughs> to get out of that. Um, and your kids did have such a, such a strong example of, you know, a lot of women are like, oh, well, I feel so bad. Like I need to stay at home with my kids. And it's like, well, if you're going to be an angry person, staying at home with your kids. I don't think that's, I don't think that's better. I personally would be an angry person staying at home with my children um, yes. all day, every day. I would not be a quality mother. I need a break. Yes. Um, so there seems to be like a lesson here learned where like, yes, prioritizing self-care, but maybe also like not doing things just because you feel like you should. Yes. Freeing yourself from guilt and undue anxiety. Um, absolutely. And I named my business Urban Balance because to me, being a mom is my highest role, but I love my work and I needed to work, you know, to pay the mortgage and everything. So, um, but I wanted to do that in a way that felt balanced and like I, I was able to do both successfully. So by hiring therapists who could see clients when I was at home with my kids, I was able to see my own clients during their school hours and still make a passive income. And that was my intention. And um, and yeah, I do think my girls know what I went through in those difficult years. And even when I got divorced, and this was kind of surprising, my older daughter was 12. And she said, Mom, 
my friends and I all think it's pretty cool that you could leave your marriage when you wanted to, because some of their mothers want to and feel financially disempowered, like they're not able to. They need to stay in, in the relationship because of money. And that's a very serious reality for a lot of women. And um, so for us each to look at our psychology of money, embrace our worth, do our inner work. I mean, I think we all need, you know, of course I'm a therapist, but I think we all need to do our family of origin work, our inner work on healing our relationship with ourselves, including how we relate with money. And your book, it goes into detail with exercises on how to do this, right? Yes, it's a step-by-step program, The Financial Mindset Fix. Each of the 12 chapters are empirically supported to improve your financial health and mental well-being. And so I have journaling prompts, I have mock therapy sessions, I have exercises and tools from cognitive behavioral therapy, narrative therapy. It's fun, it's insightful um, in terms of you're gonna learn a lot about yourself when you work the program. I love that. You know, I I have a, a husband who's like, like he knows mindset is important, but you know, he's, you know, like, what is that kind yes. of, and, um, and I've recently dove right into the deep end. Um, I mean, I started at the shallow end, so it wasn't like all of a sudden, but, um, once I'm in the deep end now, I'm like, no, you got to get in. Like, I'm sorry. Like you got to get in the pool. Yes. And, um, we were also merging our finances and doing all this financial stuff. And he was like, this is more important, the financial stuff. And I was like, I realized that that's more tangible. Yes. But Very smart. the other stuff, I mean, actually is more important because I see people with lots of money who are very unhappy. Yes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Money does not bring worth and money does not bring happiness. Um, but you know, money can bring financial peace and opportunity and security, and it's a reality in our world. But when we do that inner work and we embrace our worth and we align our gifts with the need and a need in the world to the greatest extent possible, like you said, I played big. I think that takes courage, and mm-hmm. a lot of us self, we self limitate. And we play small and that can limit not only our financial success, but also our impact on the world. When we play small, we're not serving or helping as many people. And so, you know, that's part of my own value system of always growing and developing and doing things that scare and challenge me so that I am evolving with the intention to serve more people and provide practical tools for people to heal, recover, thrive, and prosper. Yeah. And I mean, like my argument was that the the mental work takes place before the financial work because it it causes whatever's going on financially. So like if your finances aren't looking right and you're listening, it's definitely because of something going on internally, which is something you lay out so beautifully And it's such an important message that people, you know, don't hear a lot. They're listening to Dave Ramsey, who's like, just don't have credit cards. (laughs) Right, right. Well, the basics of money management really isn't rocket science. We know we need to earn 
more than we spend and we need to save and invest for the future, but it's just like diet and exercise. We're human, we're not perfect. Our psychology gets in the way, we self-sabotage. So if we can take a deep dive into our family history, any financial trauma mm -hmm. that we've experienced personally or our parents or grandparents or ancestors, how that's shaping our relationship with money, those belief systems, if we have thoughts that are rooted in scarcity, we are going to have fear-based and catastrophic thinking about money that's going to decrease our comfort zone with risk and opportunities that could really help us grow in our businesses or in our finances. And the way that we process our emotions, if we can learn to surf the waves of anxiety as we go through financial challenges and not take that on so personally, mm. and, and really accessing support, again, is so important uh, so that we have the wisdom and guidance of others to see our blind spots and lift us up. Absolutely. You guys delegate. I, I'm not trying to do my taxes. I will definitely mess that up. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, they have TurboTax. I probably would like lose money, <laughs> like, you know? It's worth the investment. A lot of times we think about, oh, it costs money to have the advisor, but what the benefit of that can far outweigh the expense. For example, I used a business broker when I sold my business and he got a nice commission from that, but I, I earned more than double what I would have earned if I didn't have him. So it, it was a great investment to have that level of support. Happy to pay it. Take my money. <laughs> totally. Right. Um, okay, Joyce, that is a good stopping point for us. And we've reached yet another episode of Sales is Not a Dirty Word. Thank you so much, Joyce, for making a guest appearance today. I'm honored to have you on the show. So great. If people want to learn more, work with you, because you are actually taking on clients um, or, you know, just learn from your materials, how can they find you? Well, I have a special landing page for your audience that will be in the show notes. Okay. Uh, and But my website is JoyceMarter.com, J-O-Y-C-E-M-A-R-T-E-R.com. And I'm on all social media. I'd love to connect. And thank you so much for having me, Alicia. I love your sense of humor and your sassiness and your boldness in your whole perspective around sales. It's super refreshing. Oh, thank you so much. I love the message you have about money. We just don't hear it enough. And it just sounds a lot easier, honestly. Um, you know, focus on fixing you first and then money follows. It sounds almost too easy. Um, so this well has been said. the... Yeah, yeah. This has been the Sales is Not a Dirty Word podcast, where we show you how to convert up to 80% of your sales meetings without pressure, pitching, or pretending to be someone else. And if you are struggling with sales in any way, book a sales level up call and we'll identify the top three things you can do to immediately increase your sales. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.